Thank you for being here today. Pretty special day, college students. Uh, kind of your last hurrah before you get to study. Awesome. Uh, also, I'd like to thank all those who have called me a grape today. Thank you very much. I've also been called um, the uh, Oompa Man. Oompa, Oompa. Uh, I've had two Barneys. I'm not going to go there. Don't start singing. And um, I've also, though y'all don't know this, my middle name is Prince because my mother's maiden name was Prince, which also means royalty, purple, but also purple rain. So we have all kinds of ties in today. Thank you for that and everybody who laughed who you're a certain age, so you get that. So um, thanks for all the purple jokes. I got those earlier today. But um, the question today that I want to ask you guys is, who do you love? Uh, obviously, some people thought they were showing me some love. But who do you love? And it comes from 1 John. Um, he is writing this letter in 1 John. Um, John is writing this because there had been false prophets that were running around saying, hey, you can do this and this, and this is what you get, but it wasn't based on truth. Now, there was some truth in it, but it wasn't entirely true. And so John wrote this particular book to say, hey, there has to be some understanding. Here's kind of a line drawn in the sand. <clears throat> this is what I want you to understand. And so throughout this whole series with Greg and Alan and I, each one of these chapters have, um, have, have brought out something that we desire for us as a church to not only understand, but then to, um, to live out in our life. And so um, just like them, uh, I'm not going to have every bit and piece of every word from each chapter, but we're going to start in verses, uh, this chapter 5, and we're going to start in verses 14, and we'll go through about 17. And then um, I'm just telling you to take notes with me today. I'll try to remember to tell you when to take a note uh, to help you out a little bit, but um, I'm going to be going pretty quick because we have... Uh, special time at the end for our college students that we're going to send out um, that are going all over the place. So we want to make sure and get to that. All right. So verse seven, uh, we'll start in verse 14 and we'll go through 17. Chapter five, first John. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, uh, when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But <clears throat> there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. And all wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. So again, John was addressing that there were false prophets at that time. In the beginning of these um, verse 14 and 15, you start to see a little bit of that when he's talking about, hey, ask anything in his name and you'll get it. Well, there is a context, even today, that you can see that. A lot of times you flip on the television, hey, you pray for it, you get it, that's what you need. So all of us would be under that impression of, hey, why wouldn't we want to pray and get whatever we ask for, right? I need a new car, I need a new job. Some of you girls might need a new man, right? <laughs> whatever it is, it says pray and this is what you'll receive. But again, John has to give some context because there is an understanding of why we would pray a certain way and what that would look like and how that requires us to, to be at a certain level, uh, not spiritually, but to understand how we pray. And so the very first thing that I want you to get this morning, and, and uh, college students, this would be, um, I, I really think just you guys going out this summer, 
You're gonna be away from sort of your structure of what you normally do, so you, you don't have those habits that you're normally in. And so this is good for you, for all of us who are just kind of still going through life. This is what I, what I would say is kind of um, gives us confidence in our spiritual walk or our spiritual journey. Because I believe one of the things that, that affects us as believers is that we get to these places in our spiritual walk and either there's an impasse or there's something we can't get through or, or we struggle we, or we just get stuck. And we don't seem to get past that. And we, and we kind of live in that spot until something shakes us up or, or, it, or it moves us uh, into another spot because we, we, we're just so desperate, right? So here's kind of where we want to face that. In verses 14 through 17, he pushes us to a place that I'm going to call uh, to be prayer-filled. One of the things that we need to be as followers of Christ is to be prayer-filled. We need to learn to pray. We need to pray. And so he gives us this pretty strong statement of this is how, what you can ask for and this is what you'll receive. And he says this a, a interesting word here. If you'll look in 14, the very beginning, he says, and we are confident. We being followers of Christ, we are confident. So this word confidence is pretty interesting. It means this, a state of boldness and confidence even in the face of intimidating circumstances. So what John is telling us is that, that if we are followers of Christ, we have that relationship with him. Then he says that we can be bold in going to our father, that we can have this confidence no matter what the circumstances are. In fact, there's four times in John that he uses this in 1 John that it all goes back to, um, to a root word that was back in the Greek. And it says this, it's freedom of speech. The confidence to say what is on your mind without any fear of retaliation or what would come back. That that is the kind of approach that John is telling us that we need to have with God our Father. Now I will admit to you guys that I don't know that I have that kind of boldness with God the Father. That I'm going to go with, with, with thinking that I have freedom of speech or that I can, that I can say whatever's on my mind to him. And yet he tells us that, that that's what he would want us to have is that, that coming to God uninhibited, that, that we would have assurance of, of what we could say to him. Say, okay, Jonathan, there has to be a key. There has to be some kind of, why would he get say, do this and this is what you get. Ask and this is what you receive, right? If we're asking it in the right faith, then what is the, the key? Well, here's the key. This isn't in your notes, so this would be just to write them somewhere. The condition to receive what we ask for is the condition of God's will. That Greek word translated will is two different distinct ways that we find in the scripture. The first one is someone's innermost desire. The second one is that which is planned or intended. The innermost desire and that which is planned or intended. And I believe that God combines both of those when he says this is his will. It's that innermost desire, but it's also what he has and what he has planned and intended. So when we're asking and praying in this fashion, we're asking and praying with what God had intended and what the desire is that he has for our life. You see the catch. How many of us pray that way? Lord, whatever will bring glory to your name. Lord, whatever you want to do, 
And I know we say this flippantly. We say, whatever your will is, God, I'll pray for your will, to, that, that I'll follow your will. But what if God's will is really hard? What if God's will costs us something? What if God's will doesn't fit in our box real well and it's not, it's not necessarily joy? But it brings him glory. And there's that condition. Jesus tells us to, to pray according to the will of God. And here's what that means. According to his heart of God and the plan of God. And even Jesus did that himself. I do what the Father asked me to do. I follow the Father. And when we do that, we're, we're asking that in a way that's the heart of God and his plan for our life. And it's amazing because what John tells us there, if we're asking in that way with the heart of God and, and what his plan is, then we can ask anything we want and we'll get that. And you go like, oh, okay. But here's the problem for most of us, for me. The real question is, do I know the heart of God? And do I know the plan that God has for me. And the way that we, we know that, you guys, is by spending time with him. And so the, this first part is, is having a prayer-filled life, is, is making sure that prayer is a part of your life because prayer is your and my communication with God, our creator. In fact, I, I would dare say this, that, that probably the greatest thing as followers of Christ that, that you and I can engage in the, the, probably the biggest blessing that you and I have is to be able to pray and to communicate with God our Father. That we have that opportunity. And the difficulty, I think, for, for at least me and, and probably most of us is that, that I'm good at telling God a lot of stuff, but I'm not good at listening. And, and really, I blame that on just the way I'm made up because if I start listening, it gets real quiet. It's like crickets. And then I start thinking about the crickets instead of what God's maybe wanting to say or start thinking about something else and really God's wanting to speak to me and speak to me in that quietness and speak to me through his word and that he'll communicate with us. According to the Bible, Prayer is not, listen to this passage. According to the Bible, prayer is not an attempt to twist God's arm and to get him to do what we want him to do, but it is a personal relationship where our will is molded to his will, where our heart is made to beat in tune with his heart. As we learn to pray according to God's heart and God's plan, we place ourselves in a position, listen, to be instruments of God's heart and of God's plan. And in effect, he works out the answers to our requests through us. The heart of that prayer is, is learning to pray. And this is from the message, but it, it gets down to this, this one particular verse. Thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Can that be our kind of prayer? That we would be used as an instrument to be molded in the way that God would want us to, to, to be used by however he wants us to be used. 
And that the circumstances that are in our life that, that truly might be really difficult and hard might be used for his glory. And that somehow, through God, through us, would bring him that glory. And I will admit to you guys, when things are going good for me, I feel like I can, man, be a great preacher and shepherd. When things are squeezing me and really hard, man, I, I, I'm not, I just, I'm not really nice. <laughs> I don't like people as much. It's hard to put on the smile and say, hey, yeah, God's got it in control. And yet this is happening in your life, but something's also happened in my life. See, when, when the world is squeezing us, what comes out of us really reveals who we are and what we're about. And my admittance to you as, a, as, as your pastor and as a person is, man, I don't like what comes out of me sometimes. It's not very Christ-like. Verses 16 and 17 says, if you see a Christian brother sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Amazingly enough, what do we do when we see people sin? We call our friend. Hey, did you, did you know that that last week Bob went to Vegas? Did you see his Facebook status? Do you see what he did? I thought everything that went on in Vegas was supposed to stay in Vegas. And we start talking about it. Thank you for the humor there. We start talking about it to our friends and communicating about that. And then for, this, for all of us who then we get a little convicted maybe spiritually, then we say, well, we just need to pray for him, Right? What is the first thing that we should do if, if we see one of our friends caught up in sin or, or maybe do something that they never even thought they would do? What is the first thing that we should do? We, we should pray for them. Our first response is to bring that person to the throne of God and pray for our friend, that person that we say that we love and that we care about, is to pray for them, not talk about them. Sidlow Baxter the old Scottish preacher that was one of my former pastor's mentors, and he said this, people may spurn our appeals, they may reject our message, they may oppose our arguments, they might even despise me as a person, but they are helpless against our prayers. Prayer needs to be a major part of our life to be able to grow spiritually and to understand what God has for us and to know him more intimately. And if it isn't, then I challenge you, ask. That's what the church is for. We're, we're here to equip you to understand what scripture says and how to do that. And you say, well, I, I've really never prayed before and the way that I did prayer was reciting a prayer. Then, then, then just ask and let's help you to develop that prayer life because that's what the Lord says that needs to be a part of our everyday life. Learning to pray. The second thing we find in verse 18, he says this, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Why do we need 
to make sure that we're spending time with the Lord through prayer and then through what I also say is, is, a, is a growth focused life, a, one that's growing in the Lord, one that's growing in our relationship with him is because of this, that, that Satan is at work. Okay? And, and, and for lack of wanting to get too spooky for you, I'll just say this, that if God is for us, then Satan is against us. And, and I know those are some, some of us we can, you know, hey, if you want to look under every rock and find something spooky about Satan, you can. But the truth is, is he's there whether you want to believe it or not. He, he, he's at work whether you want to accept that or not. He's wanting to destroy you and I whether you want to think that or not. That's what the scripture tells us. In fact, he, he tells us in a few more verses, and I'll get to it in just a second, because it seems like there's a contradiction here. It seems like if you look at verse 18, that there seems to be a contradiction, but also in 3.18, it says this, no one who abides in Christ sins. It sounds like John's talking about sinless perfection. Wait a minute, how can you abide in Christ and, and yet still sin, right? And he also does that in verses uh, chapter one, verse 10. He says something similar. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So that seems like a contradiction, even in 1 John and him saying things about, how does that work? Well, it works like this. I know you're going to find it hard to believe that I've actually done a little study on some words and some verb tense. But here's the word that we find for sin. It means present tense. So here's what John is telling us. There is not a contradiction. What he was trying to say is there's, okay, again, false prophets that are out preaching some things that have truth in them. But within those truths... There's things that weren't true. And so John's having to draw some really strong lines and say, hey, here, here is the deal. If you say that you're in Christ, then you can't have sin. Strong line. But he's using the verb in the tense here to say this, that you won't continue in sin. You won't be a persistent person who is still seeking a lifestyle of sin. And he gives us that because he says a person that is born of God is actually alive spiritually. The New Testament tells us that you're born again. So we have this physical birth, right? We're all here. And then there's this spiritual birth at some time in our life that happens that is an awakening to the relationship with Christ. And that makes our fellowship with God the Father. And he said there is a birth that happens. So that's being born again, spiritually born again. And he says this, if you are alive in Christ, if you're spiritually born again in Christ, you're not going to be able to continue down that path. Now, here's the interesting part. We still have sin. So John's not talking about being perfect and being sinless because we still all will sin and we still all have a tendency and, and our natural drift is going to be back towards that. But the reason that we need to be in prayer and the reason that we need to be growing spiritually is so that we can combat that. Listen to this. Let me find it. <clears throat> when he says that we can be alive spiritually, then we're unable to live in the same way that we were. And so in verse 18, we know that we're children of God. Do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Okay, listen to me this morning. Satan cannot touch you. It's not me. That's what the Bible says. Satan cannot touch you. Here's what he can do. Satan can harass you. Satan can tempt you. But the Bible tells us that he can't touch us. 
He can harass. He can tempt. And why can he do that? Look in verse, uh, let's see here. A couple verses down. We know that the Son is God. Hang on. Let me find it. 19. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of what? The evil one. So here's what you and I are fighting today. God allows for Satan to have this world and the culture that we live in. And the only thing that can help you and I to be out of that culture is our relationship through Jesus to have fellowship with God the Father. But the culture that you and I live in, this world that we live in is a fallen world that has been given to Satan to have dominion over. And so everything that is a grid of thinking, everything that's a grid of education, everything that there is honestly opposes that book called the Bible. And there are very rarely, unless there are principles that are used from the scripture that are used in business or education or elsewhere, very rarely are they not going to come in the straight opposition of this book called the Bible. Because the Bible tells us that the world has been given to Satan to have dominion over. So guess what is in culture? It is a thinking that is going to be different from my thinking and your thinking if you and I are a follower of Christ. And he says, even though you cannot be touched by Satan, culture is going to have incredible pressure on you. And you're going to be able to, you're going to, be able to have tension because of temptation. But it all is going to be placed back on us with this relationship that we have with Christ. The way that I would picture it this morning with a word picture is like this. That if I were to put something around my neck and it had something on it, it would be a note from, from God to Satan that says, hands off. He's mine. I have a relationship with him. He can harass me. He can tempt me. But he cannot have me. I am God's. I have been adopted into God's family as his child. But we don't live that way. Why do we not live that way? The most that Satan can do is harass us. And he gains access. Listen, he gains access to our life by our own invitation through our own disobedience. We give him those opportunities to harass us more, to tempt us more, and to cave into culture and be more like culture than we are God. And I say that out of humility, and I say that out of an embarrassment, because even yesterday in my own car, driving home from a fun event for my son's birthday, I needed to check a score on my phone. But I was the driver. I was not texting. Okay, but I needed to check a score. And my wife turns to me and says, what are you doing? <sighs> well, I'm driving with a phone in my hand, looking at a score. And I will just tell you at that point in time that I did not respond very Christ-like to my wife. And of course, my children are in the back because I was kind of frustrated. And I allowed at that point in time, I allowed Satan to come right in, in an area of weakness, 
in the area of my response and the way that I wanted to respond. And it took me half the evening to get that right with my wife, to respond correctly to my children because of the way that I allowed Satan to do something to me. I had a choice, and I remember making the choice. I remember the particular comments that I made back to my wife, and I had a choice, because I knew as soon as I said it. Y'all know what I'm saying, dads, husbands? I knew as soon as I said it what response I was going to get, and then it was on. Okay? And the best way that I can describe it, which I'll describe it a little different than I did in the first service, I'll describe it as it felt like that I had a hundred little oomph guys that came by and just hit me in the belly. And I say that because little oomph guys are shorter so they can hit you right where it hurts, okay? And they just came by and hit me. And I knew it and I still went for it and still decided, you know what, I'm going, I'm gonna hang my hat on it and I'm just going down with it. And all evening, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. And then I had to go ask my wife several times to forgive me. I had to make some comments to my children about that because I allowed a wedge of Satan to have a little place in the way that I was going to respond. If you really think about what Satan can do to us, can't have our lives. So he tries like heck to destroy us, you guys. And he'll do it any way he can. Any way that he can rob us of our joy that we have in our Savior and our Lord, then he's going to try to do that. So we need to keep growth focused on our relationship with God so that we can combat that. And if we don't, then we're going to find ourselves struggling. A famous cellist, Pablo Caselas, was 95 years old and a reporter asked him, you're 95, you're the greatest cellist in the world. Why do you still practice six hours a day? And his answer was this, because I'm still making progress. Is that you in your spiritual life today? Do you feel like you're still making progress in your spiritual life and your walk with God in this prayer piece and in this piece of trying to know him better and to understand him better and where he wants you to go? Because that's what he says we need to be doing. In verse 19 and 20, he says this, I already read 19, let me read 22. And he said, and we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because he lives in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Remember this, you guys. Remember that John was speaking to the church at that time and was trying to tell them there is false prophets out there. Here's what's going on. You need to know that there is one true God. There is one way that, that, that we believe and this is the way and it's the only true God and there's a lot of other idols, there's a lot of other gods out there that are being practiced, but this is the true God and so he, he points this to us saying, you need to know the true God. You need to make sure that you're filled with that. That'd be my third point, by a truth-filled life. You need to know the truth and what, is, what does the scripture tell us about the truth? The truth is going to what? Set us what? Set us free. Doesn't it seem like, doesn't it seem like what the world tells us about the Bible and what it says is, if you go that route, if you go Johnny Christian, if you go, you know, religious Rick, whatever, if you go that route, man, there's going to be a lot of things you don't get to do anymore. Hello? 
If you go that route, you, there's going to be a lot of things that you, you're not going to get to try or experience or, or, or whatever anymore because, that, because you're going that route. And yet the scripture says the truth is going to set us free. Why does that seem to be a contradiction? Because this is the truth. Everything else is not. And this is what we hold as the standard of our truth. And if you honestly, uh, I, I think it was last week that, that maybe um, it was either Greg or Alan said this about this. You know what? If you, if it was out, it was Greg. If it was one of them, it, if you, if you get through the first like six chapters of Genesis and you're struggling going like, oh, really? God created all this. How does that work together? Was I really an ape or not an ape? Whatever. Guys, if, if you can't believe God's word and you just want to believe part of it, just make up your own religion. By the way, that's what a lot of religions are out there. You just go do your own thing. God has restraints and he gives us instruction and understanding about how he made us, what we're to do, how we're to live. And by the way, somehow in that, in those restrictions of what he desires for us and to keep his commandments and to do his will, that when he does that, he says, how does this work? He says that you will be set free. How is it that I have these things that I'm supposed to follow and that's going to set me free? But that's what he says. And so John tells us, hey, there's only one true God. And you need to know that one true God and, and that it's truth filled. And here's, he uses this three times in these two verses. He says, we know. In 19 and 20, he says, we know. What do we know? We know that he's dealing with truth and confidence. And when you have confidence, listen, when you have confidence in your walk with the Lord, it's pretty awesome. When you've, get, when you've got confidence in what you feel like the Lord has shown you to do, then you're, you're ready to go. But most of us just don't have confidence in what we believe the Lord's shown us. And the reason we don't have confidence is because we struggle with the truth. And so he says, get in the word. Get the truth. And as you find the truth, then I will reveal to you through God's Holy Spirit, this beautiful thing that God gives us called the Holy Spirit, that he'll reveal to us more of what we need, of where we need to go, of direction, of clarity, of what you're going to be doing in your life with your business, with your mate, with your family, that he reveals that through his Holy Spirit to us as we spend time with him, that that's a relationship and it's reciprocal. It's not just one-sided. Here's your checklist. Got it, got it, got it. Is that much of a relationship anyway, by the way? Hey, I, listen, Elizabeth and I, there are certain days that we might as well be called sparring partners. I mean, it just, it's on. Let's, and then those are usually days that it's me, by the way, because she's saintly. There are days where it just feels, why are we fighting? Because there's pride and wanting to be right. And believe it or not, we're both a little competitive. So we have to get back and focus and say, wait a minute, we're on the same team. We're, we're desiring the same thing from God in both of our life. And, and if I'm doing that, why am I not putting you first before my own needs? Why am I not putting my family first before my own needs? Why am I being so selfish and self-centered? 
when the Lord tells me to actually, to gain my life, I need to what? To lose my life. Why does that just seem like a contradiction? Because, again, this is the truth. But the world tells me, because it's, it's, it's run by who? Satan. The world tells me that, that I need to be the one in charge, and I need to be the one that makes the decisions, and I need to be the one in control. So we need the truth to understand that. And by the way, Satan embraces the opportunity that God gave him by having dominion over the world. I mean, he takes every opportunity that he can to twist and do everything he can to to mess us up. Let me finish by saying this. That God gives us understanding through his son, Jesus. Here we were, broken fellowship with God, our creator. And so he, he sends himself through his son, Jesus, who was man. So he's God and man. And he sends him through his son, Jesus. So the man part, you and I can relate to. So anything that you're going through today, emotionally, physically, financially, anything that you and I are going through today, understand this, that Jesus, the human side of him, understands what you are feeling and going through because he was man as well. Any emotion, any struggle, whatever it is, he was man. And he understands that. And in fact, he not only came, listen, he not only came for our salvation, but he came to give you and I understanding. And he does that through his son, the Holy Spirit. And so he tells us that we need to have this truth-filled this truth-filled life, this, this walk with him, so that we can simply do this, so that we can stop seeing things from the world's view and we can start seeing things through God's eyes and through his view. And we would call that at this church, we would, we would call that the, the worldview versus God's view. And our desire as a church is that we would start seeing things from God's view. And so everything that we do, teaching and preaching and in our small groups and, and in some of the things that we offer through even a marriage, uh, marriage enrichment deal or, or, or something that's a cornerstone discussion one of our Sunday nights, everything we do goes through the grid of trying to get us as a church to see things through God's eyes versus our eyes or versus the world's eyes. Simply that. The Bible tells us that this, in understanding how to do that, we must immerse ourselves I, I, I get a picture, um, I, I got to go to a place that had this waterfall and it was so heavy and strong. It was like, you know, just, um, it, was, it was almost pushing me just down because I have, but immersing myself in this, immersing myself in God. Another way of saying it is like being in the proximity of him so that I can get all of him that I need and desire, but all that he has to offer. And we immerse ourselves in that so that we can do these things to know God, to walk with God, to love God, and to follow him. And that's what his son Jesus did, and he was our example to do that. I want to end with one statement. One of the reasons that John wrote this book was because of the false prophets, and one of the difficulties they were having were idols. And so with those idols, this is what was discussed, is there's a lot of gods out there. And in that day and time, they would actually make they would actually make it. They would whittle it out or they would make it from gold and they'd make this little idol and here's what they worshiped. 
But I would say today we don't really make all those little idols, but they're all around us. And so I want to give you a couple definitions so that to, to, to really see where you and I are with our walk with God, because he says, I am the way, the only way. An idol is anything that squeezes God out of the center position of my life and towards the margin of my life. An idol is anything that squeezes God out of the center position of my life and pushes him toward the margins of my life. Another definition that I like that I got from the message is trusting people, possessions, or positions. Listen, trusting people, possessions, or positions to do for me what only God can do. Trusting people, possessions, or positions to do for me what only God can do. John wrote this whole book, and it's countercultural. It was countercultural then, it's countercultural now. It's different because this is the truth. And anything that you and I put between us and God is going to push us toward these idols that we've made. And He's a jealous God. And He says, I want to be number one, I want to be first. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. And Lord, I just, I just ask this morning, if, Lord, if we have any idols that we've made that have become more important in, in our lives than you, would you let us recognize that, Lord? Would you show us those idols that we might confess them, that we might get them right with you, that we might be obedient to what you want? Lord, would you let us have lives that would would start with prayer. And would you let us have lives, Lord, that would continue by building a relationship um, with you? Would you give us that strength to be able to do it? Would you let us focus on our walk with you, Lord, that we might receive all that you have for us? Because, Lord, you've made it available to us. And we ask these things because of your son, Jesus. Amen. You guys, kind of to, um, to end our service today, we're going to have a song in a minute. Uh, but I want to do something that I, I feel like um, has at least become a good tradition at our church is that every year at this time, obviously, the college students are getting prepared and they're, they're leaving. Some of them are going home and having to get jobs and internships. But then there's, a, there's another portion of our students that, that through different campus ministries uh, all over the place, through, through Young Life and Crusade and Student Mobilization and FCA and uh, BCM and Wesleyan, I mean, there's, there's a number of them that our students go through uh, at our church. But through those different ministries, um, they go all over the world. And so what, what we want to do as a church is we want to send you out um, from our church. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's real simple. And I made one up so that you could see it. Is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys in just a minute. I'm going to have you stand up. I want our church to be able to recognize you as college students that are going out wherever you're going this summer. And then you're going to go to these tables that are on both sides of me, I think. You're going to go to those tables, and you're simply going to put your name. So that was Jonathan Beasley, and I put Guatemala. And I also put Or the Beach, wherever the Lord wanted me to go this summer. Okay? You've got a distinctive place that you're going that God's got you going. I want you to do that. And <clears throat> then over there is Alan. He's, you can see him under the globe over there. Alan's going to take a picture of you. You're going to have this and you're going to sit there and smile. 
Thank you. You're going to smile, but here's what's really neat is that we're going to take these pictures and every week before church for the rest of the summer, we're going to be praying for you and where you're going and what God's doing with you so that you're not alone just out there doing ministry, but that you know that this church truly cares and desires to be a part of your life and, and wants to pray for what God is doing with you. And we know that you guys are going all over the place and our desire is to get a little bit more information and do that. Um, but that's what we want you to do this morning. So if you're one of our college students and you're being sent out, no matter what organization, I don't care if you're going to Canacuck, I don't care if you're going to wherever it is that you're going to serve this summer, you're just going to put that, would you stand up for us, please? Don't be shy. Standing up. There you go. Come on, don't be shy. Look, if you're going to do garage sales for your mom, we won't count that. But if, all right. So, congregation, if you could kind of look these folks over a little bit. Um, we're going to pray for them, pray for God's blessing, pray for their protection. And then college students, while we're singing, uh, we'd like for you guys to come to the tables, um, sign your name, get that on there for us, and then go over there to Alan so he can take a picture and then after the song's done, I'll have a couple announcements to finish up because we have some other things going on today that I need to tell you about, and we'll be done with that. All right, y'all keep standing. Let us pray for you guys. Lord, what a blessing. What a blessing to look across um, our church this morning and to see, God, that, that you have a hand for each one of these, Lord, students to be used and that you're going to use them, Lord, in all kinds of places this summer. Father, would you bless whatever they'll be doing, Lord, whatever you've got them doing, would you bless them? Would you protect them? Lord, would you let their testimony be, Father, that you are using them? God, as a church, may we be supportive of them. May we understand that, God, they need our prayer, that they need us to, to be here, Lord, for them, loving, caring, praying, and asking for your will to be done in their life. God, would, would this be a summer like no other summer for them? Would you let it be a watermark moment in their lives, God, with whatever they'll be doing and wherever they are, that, Lord, they'll never be the same because of their relationship with you and what they've seen by serving and giving their life away. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.